This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Peter Lavenda, an expert uh, in Nazi history. The good old Nazis will re- rear their ugly heads on this program once again. Uh, and uh, he, of course, the author of Unholy Alliance and Sinister Forces and a number of other books, monumental works, really. And uh, he's standing by. A young Will Power is on the other side of the glass behind the uh, big audio board, twisting dials and knobs. Welcome, Will. Uh, Ian is off gallivanting somewhere. Is he touring with his rockabilly band again? We're not sure. However... It's good to have Will Power, one of the great names in, uh, in uh, entertainment and broadcasting. Anyway, we're, good to, we're glad to have Will with us. Albert is here running our HOA, our Hangout on Air. And, uh, Albert, it is, it is working. We are up and live streaming on, U- on YouTube. Excellent. If you'd like to partake in the live stream of this radio program on YouTube, here's how. It's real simple. Just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. S as in Simon, Y because I love you, R-E-T-T, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. Go to the top or near the top of the feed, find the tweet containing the HOA link, and just click on that, and you're in, my friends. Uh, please visit the uh, website strangeplanet.ca, which is essentially a landing page uh, because there's a radio section, a television section for my radio shows, my TV show. Uh, there's a live events section. Anyway, go to the um, the radio section, first of all, the radio page for this program. And uh, there's a lot there. So take a few moments, explore, and I really encourage you to take a minute and register. Become a member. It's a blue button on the left-hand side. Just click on that. And once you're a member, and it's, it's easy to register, it's free, it's fast, that gains you access to member-only areas like the past show audio archives. You can go back all the way to the summer of 2012 and listen to, to previous programs. And then, of course, all of the information on our guests and their books and links to their websites, it's all there. 
Now, from strangeplanet.ca, you can also go to the TV page, as I mentioned, and the conspiracy show, the television program. Season 4, of course, is well underway. It airs Monday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on Vision TV. And if you missed last week, it was our episode on fluoride. And I got to tell you, that generated a lot of email. Whenever you sort of dip your toe into those waters, uh, you know you're going to stir up a lot of problems or a lot of trouble. And we, we did. And that's why the show exists. We like to stir up a little trouble. Uh, and just a couple of weeks left in the season, of course. So make sure you check it out Monday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern on Vision TV. And just a reminder for my U.S. listeners, seasons one through three of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, available in the U.S. on Hulu and Amazon.com. And finally, before we get to the, uh, the, the main entree, the live events page at strangeplanet.ca. This is important. I, I, I want to draw your attention because it's, uh, it's coming up quickly. Sunday, September the 11th, Strange Planet, that would be me, will be presenting Dr. Judy Wood, author of Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Directed Free Energy Technology on 9-11, That's Sunday, September the 11th. That's at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. Tickets go on sale Monday, at least on strangeplanet.ca. If you just go to the live events page there and uh, all the information and you can order tickets right online. And my partners, of course, Conspiracy Culture, they'll be presenting this exclusive event with me. Again, Dr. Judy Wood, Sunday, September the 11th. Go to the uh, website for uh, Conspiracy Culture, conspiracyculture.com. And you can, uh, you can order tickets online or on phone or go into their shop. All right. We are about to delve into uh, the unsavory links between the Nazis, the occult, mind control, modern American politics, and the sinister forces that lurk beneath the surface of what my guest calls our corn-fed consciousness. Peter Lavenda has researched the material for his books over the course of well over 25 years, visiting more than 40 countries and gaining access to temples, prisons, military installations, and government documents. He is the author of Sinister Forces, The Nine, a grimoire of American political witchcraft, Stairway to Heaven, Chinese alchemists, Jewish Kabbalists, and the art of spiritual transformation, Unholy Alliance, a history of Nazi involvement with the occult, The Secret Temple, Masons, Mysteries, and the Founding of America, Ratline, Soviet spies, Nazi priests, and the disappearance of Adolf Hitler, the Hitler legacy, the Nazi cult in diaspora, and uh, several others. It's a great pleasure to have Peter Lavenda right here on The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. Uh, you know, one of the things that I followed uh, your work with, um, you know, the, the Nazi connection to American politics, and I'm also a, a big fan of of people like Jim Mars, who's been on the program a number of times, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, and Joseph Farrell, of course, who's written extensively uh, in this area. And um, the idea that, uh, you know, this, this comes out for a lot of people, you know, right out of left field because they read in their history books that the Allies, you know, we won the war. Uh, but when then you, you demonstrate to them that the the German army surrendered at the end of the, of the Second World War, but the, the vice chancellor never did and the Third Reich never did and that perhaps, you know, all of their, their war plunder and their, their scientists and everything else, their, their, um, their brain trust basically relocated their base of operations and their descendants perhaps continue to operate to this day. But what do you say to people who just find that absolutely ridiculous? 
Well, I, I sympathize with them, <laughs> quite frankly. It sounds like something out of a Robert Ludlum novel. But uh, to, be, to be frank, I've myself personally encountered the, the Nazi undergrounds uh, in South America in specifically, but also in the United States. Um, I've done a lot of research in very, uh, how shall I put it, reputable areas, such as the National Archives. Uh, the Library of Congress to do all the documentation uh, research, but then I've done you know the physical uh, travel as well to South America, to Europe, um, throughout North America, and uh, as the Hitler Legacy, the book that I published about two years ago, reveals in the last section, there's the 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 address book of a very famous Nazi called Hans Ulrich Rudel who was one of Hitler's favorite uh, pilots. He was a World War II ace. And Rudel uh, kept a very meticulous uh, record of his friends and acquaintances around the world. And it's basically a guidebook to the Nazi underground. In, in addition uh, to a lot of names that you might not recognize, there's a few that you would. Uh, and one of them is a man called Klaus Altmann. You'll find his name, address, and phone number in that book in Bolivia. And Klaus Altmann was the the pseudonym for Klaus Barbie, the very famous butcher of Lyon, right, right. who was eventually extradited to France to stand trial. There was an elaborate, and still exists, an elaborate underground network of true believers. Um, you know, I, I, I usually make the very uncomfortable uh, comparison with Christianity in the first 350 years. Uh, Christianity was underground. The people had to meet in catacombs. They had to meet uh, privately and secretly, or else they would be persecuted. They would be executed, even. That's right. Uh, but but eventually, after 350 years, of course, they became the state religion. The similar thing is going on with the, the true believers of the Third Reich of the of the Nazi Party, particularly the SS, which was an elite organization. Uh, it was called considered a criminal organization by the Allies, uh, meaning that any SS officer could be arrested and thrown in prison and had to be subjected to the, the denazification process. So you had tens of thousands of people who were virtually, they were war criminals. They were involved in, in terrible acts uh, against their fellow human beings, including and not limited to the concentration camps. And when the war was over, they were gone. As many of them as could possibly leave had left even before the war was over. And in fact, there were meetings held at high levels of the German government to ensure that the German technical uh, expertise and uh, companies' manufacturing facilities were relocated overseas so they would not fall into the hands of the Allies. Um, uh, naturally, Nazi treasure, all their ill-gotten gains was hidden. A lot of it was... Uh, recovered, but a lot more was not, uh, and made its way all around the world. And that's quite well documented. And who had access to that money? Who had access to those valuables, to that gold that was shipped abroad, but other members of the Nazi underground, which meant it was a worldwide global operation. They financed uh, a terrorism. They financed resistance movements, uh, revolutionary movements in North Africa and the Middle East, for instance. Um, so, I mean, there was they were very actively involved. They just they weren't just hiding. They didn't just take the money and run. They actually became very involved in politics. They became very involved in South American politics, for sure. They were involved in Argentina and Chile and Paraguay, uh, in Uruguay, and all the way up to Colombia. There were Nazi officials who were involved in trying to influence the political situation there. 
My visit to Colonia Dignidad in Chile took place in 1979, long after World War II was over, and yet they had a Nazi uh, installation there. It was a safe house and a sanctuary for war criminals. And we know that Hans Ulrich Rudel went there, Otto Skorzeny, Hitler's favorite to commando, had spent time there. Uh, Josef Mengele had spent time there. So you had a, a place that was being protected by the Chilean government uh, to the extent that they could actually run more or less openly a kind of safe house, a node in the network of the Nazi underground. How likely so, or unlikely? Yeah. Uh, uh, Jeremy Corsi, of course, had a, a book out a couple of years ago, Hunting for Hitler, and, and some in some quarters, some researchers say now it's it's an open and cut uh, cl- open and shut case. Hitler survived the Führer bunker and was spirited out of of Germany at the close of the war. Perhaps went to uh, Argentina or, or or I don't know Paraguay. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if you had asked me this about oh ten years ago or even five years ago, probably. Uh, well, about ten years ago, if you had asked me this, I would have said uh, you're a crazy. You know, everybody knows that Hitler died in the bunker. In Unholy Alliance, I wrote about it specifically and calling people's attention to the date, which was April 30th, 1945, because that's a date with tremendous uh, religious and symbolic significance in Europe. That's the that's Valpurgisnacht. You know, that's uh, made famous by the movie about Dracula, you know, the, the um, Bela Lugosi film. You know, the, all this meetings of the, the vampire takes place on Valpurgisnacht, and that's April 30th. It's a pagan holiday similar to Halloween. And I was very invested in the fact that Hitler had committed suicide on that day. I didn't question it. I mean, we all knew this. This was accepted historical fact, right? This was consensus reality. And then I came across, you know, intimations here and there, hints and suggestions that maybe maybe he survived. And I was having a hard time getting on board with it. I was in Indonesia uh, back in, I think it was in 2009, and I started hearing stories about, oh, well, Hitler, you know, he escaped to Indonesia, and he lived on this remote island. And I said, yeah, right. You know, my reaction was, sure, he did. Um, but they kept insisting, no, there was this guy, and they showed me photographs of this man. Um, and I started to see bits and pieces of documentation and I wasn't sure it was Hitler, but I for sure understood this was a Nazi war criminal who had managed to escape all the way to Indonesia after the war and lived out his life on a remote island in the Indonesian archipelago, very far from what we would consider civilization. I mean, very far from Jakarta, very far from anywhere like that. All right, Peter, we're going to take a time out. We'll come back. We'll finish up on that thought. Did Hitler survive the Fuhrerbunker? And then... We'll sort of flash forward today to today. How does the Nazi International affect a geopolitics today, perhaps even American politics? Peter Lavenda, the author of Sinister Forces, Stairway to Heaven, Unholy Alliance, The Secret Temple, Ratline, The Hitler Legacy, and more. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. There we are. Peter Lavenda is with us. Sinister Forces, Stairway to Heaven, Unholy Alliance, The Secret Temple, Ratline, uh, The Hitler Legacy, and many more. And uh, his website, peterlavenda.com. Uh, L-E-V-E-N-D-A, PeterLavenda.com. Peter, before the break, we were talking about you were exploring a remote island in Indonesia where it is rumored Hitler perhaps lived out his final days. What did you find out? Well, it was very strange. Uh, There was a man there with a handlebar mustache. Uh, He had been married to a blonde woman who looked an awful light, like like Eva Braun. Um, And then at some point he... Uh, married uh, a local woman, Ava, the Ava Brown character, um, whoever she was, uh, disappeared. She went back to Europe, as I later found out. And uh, he told his uh, new wife, his, uh, his local Indonesian wife, that he was Hitler. Um, she reported this and after he died. So there was a lot of mystery about this guy. And I, I wasn't on board yet with the fact that he might have been Hitler. But as I'm researching this, a, an archaeologist from the state of Connecticut, Nick Bellantoni, uh, had just come back from, the, from Moscow, where he had examined the skull the Russians said was Hitler's skull and found out that it wasn't. It wasn't even the skull of a man. It was someone else. So I was a little confused by all of this, and I started to do more research in the subject, and I read the, the ultimate book which, um, by Hugh Trevor Roper, British, uh, a British historian who wrote the book that uh, determined definitively that Hitler had committed suicide in the bunker. And then I realized it was absolutely full of holes. There was, there was really no proof in the book that Hitler had died in the bunker. It was all based on uh, strange snippets of interrogations he had of prisoners that were in British custody after the war. And then I found out he was given three months uh, by British intelligence to determine, or actually just to present the story, that Hitler had died in the bunker. That was his task. You have 90 days. You don't speak German. You won't have access to the prisoners the Russians have or the Americans have, just our, our German prisoners. You've got to talk to them and come up with an explanation of how and why and when Hitler committed suicide. And we're, by the way, we're calling this Operation Nursery. So Operation Nursery went into effect 
the end of 90 days, there was a big press conference. Hugh Trevor Roper gave his uh, explanation as to how Hitler died in the bunker. And that's it. End of story. Nothing to see here. Move along. Well, as I read through all of this and I started matching it with other data, it looked kind of ridiculous and it looked like it was an intelligence operation. It wasn't, you know, a definitive criminal investigation where we have a body, you know, we have forensic evidence. They had nothing like that. Um, they had some dental records, but the dental records were virtually invented. And one of the strange aspects of the dental records was that the dental technician in Berlin uh, that they found who had these records really didn't have them. He sort of memorized them. He didn't have the physical records. And he created two sets of dentures, one set for, I mean, two sets for Eva Braun and two sets for Adolf Hitler in the weeks before the fall of Berlin. Who needs two pairs of dentures when Berlin's about to fall and you're going to commit suicide in the mm, bunker? Mm -hmm. They found one set in the bodies that were recovered, that the Soviets recovered at the Reichschancellery in Berlin, uh, fit inexpertly into the skulls of people that they really didn't fit. And that was even noted at the time. So one set of dentures, it was like an insurance scam. You know, you have this body right, and you right. put the fake dental records in there and say, well, this is so-and-so. That's what happened. So I put all of this together and I'm thinking there's something really wrong here. I looked at some of the other evidence, the other interrogations that the Soviets had of their prisoners, which were all over the place. Uh, and I came to the conclusion that we have no proof at all that Hitler died in the bunker. Right. Uh, there's, just no, there's no proof. There's nothing. <laughs> Vladimir Putin has been such a disruptor and he likes to thumb his nose at the globalists and so forth and the New World Order. Why? Uh, he, surely he knows. Why doesn't Vladimir Putin come out and say something definitively? Not that it would be picked up by the mainstream press necessarily, but it would be interesting to hear him speak on that. Because he's implicated in this. Vladimir Putin was head of KGB. And in 1970... In the spring of 1970, uh, Andropov, Yuri Andropov, who was at that time head of the KGB, right. when, when Putin was just a, uh, you know, a young guy in, in, the, in the Russian service, Andropov goes and sends out this message. Go to this particular town, Magdeburg, in, at, that point, at that time in East Germany. There's a parking lot. Dig up the parking lot. You're going to find a bunch of bodies that we buried underneath this parking lot and paved it over. Take out these bodies right away, take them out to the river, cremate them, and dump the ashes into the river. According to the Soviets' own records, these were the bodies of Adolf Hitler, Eva Braun, and the entire Goebbels family with their six children and Mr. and Mrs. Goebbels and their little dog, too. And all of these bodies were poisoned, killed, shot, whatever. We don't know because they didn't really do any autopsies on these bodies. They were dragged out and they were burned and the ashes put in the river. This, excuse me. This was in the, the spring of 1970. And it's exactly at this time when the guy I was researching in Indonesia turns up dead. Also in the spring of 1970. In January of 1970, in the, the end of January, he's dead in a very mysterious set of circumstances in the town called Surabaya, in Indonesia. I actually went there. I went to the gravesite. I really did the investigation in that part to find out who this guy was. And a couple of months after that, the Russians dig up the bodies of so-called Hitler and everybody else and destroy the evidence. We don't know what the connection is between these two things, but the, the timing is, is extremely suggestive. And eventually, Vladimir Putin would have come into possession of this knowledge. 
after he joined the KGB, after all this was done. And then he would have, you know, he would have known about this because it became a very big cause celebre back in 2009 when, you know, we revealed the fact that their skull was not Hitler's skull. Uh, Putin was already very high up in the KGB hierarchy. So he would have been implicated in all of this. He would have special knowledge of what that, what those, who those bodies really were, uh, how they died and why, particularly why they were destroyed in such a, a quick and dirty fashion. You know, when there was really no need to do it. These were bodies people had forgotten about, you know, buried under a parking lot in a town in East Germany. Why was it suddenly necessary for the KGB to freak out completely and then, you know, bulldoze open the, the, the parking lot, go down beneath the tarmac and the asphalt, find these bodies, drag them out and cremate them? There was something very mysterious about this entire operation. And if anybody knows these days, it would be Putin. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um the idea of of a Nazi international, the 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 the, the war plunder, all of this um, money was sort of funneled into, uh, you know, various uh, uh, corporations and so forth, uh, in, in in a way, I guess, to sort of launder the money. Uh, think of like I think of you know when mafia mafioso try to go legit, you know, they buy legitimate companies and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that exists, where is where is its base? Do you suspect? Well, I think that the one thing the SS learned pretty quickly on was not to put all of your eggs in one basket. They began to realize that diversification was a good thing. Uh, they moved a lot of their assets to North America. Uh, they moved a lot to South America and to parts of Asia and other, other countries in Europe. They were being protected by Franco in Spain and by Salazar in Portugal, among other places. So they were moving their assets around. There was no central location uh, in the post-war period because they just didn't know where they would be strongest, where they would be weakest. Uh, They paid off Perón in Argentina, as we know. Um, They paid off Stresner in in Paraguay, Um, the generals in Chile. They were moving their stuff around and creating a network, a global network, where they could move their money, move their assets, their other assets, their technical assets, uh, set up manufacturing in various countries around the world. They knew that to put everything back in the, in the German heartland was a mistake because it was going to attract another invasion, you know, another war in which they would lose everything as they did in World War I. They did not want a repeat of World War I where everything was taken away from them. So the idea was let's diversify, let's move this stuff around, let's become a global operation. And I believe that's exactly what they did. I don't think there's any, any one place that you could point to and say, well, this is the base. Um, Switzerland, obviously, was very good for them for, for hiding money and hiding gold, but it wasn't the only place they hid gold. Um, documents that were released during the Clinton administration, back when there was a real serious effort to understand where the Nazi gold wound up, revealed that 40 tons, 40 metric tons of gold was shipped from Portugal uh, after the war, years after the end of the war, and shipped uh, to Macau. That 40 tons of gold then was divided into two lots. One batch of 20 tons went into China. We don't know where. The documentation, the document stream sort of ends right there. We imagine it went to help prop up uh, Chiang Kai-shek in his fight against the communists. The other 20 tons wound up in Indonesia. Again, we go back to Indonesia for some reason, but there's 20 tons of gold there. And in the 1950s, uh, Sukarno, who was the head of the very first head of the Indonesian government after liberation, 
from the Dutch. Uh, Sukarno uh, suggested that uh, the non-aligned nations, those that were neither pro-U.S. or pro-Soviet, create their own banking system to compete against the World Bank and the IMF. And he was calling it the Revolutionary Fund. Uh, we believe, when I say we, I mean some researchers, believe that the 20 tons of gold that went to Indonesia was like the seed money for this Revolutionary Fund. Uh, what, to what extent were the Dulles brothers uh, involved in the exfiltration of a lot of that war plunder, John Foster and Alan Dulles? Well, a great deal, actually. I mean, um, especially Alan Dulles in Switzerland was cutting all sorts of deals uh, back and forth with the Nazis. Dulles had no particular uh, animus against the Nazis. He really didn't like the Soviets. And to Alan Dulles, the, the real enemy, and to John Foster Dulles, the real enemies were the Soviets. And they would do whatever they would have to do to fight the Soviets. And if that meant helping the Nazis to escape, helping them to escape prosecution at least, uh, helping their assets to escape or helping to hide the assets, that was fine. Remember, it was CIA who hired Reinhard Galen, uh, a very famous intelligence chief of the Third Reich, to head up their operations in, in Eastern Europe to actually run operations against the Soviets. And Reinhard Galen was a general. You know, uh, he, was, he was a very high-ranking officer. And they put him in charge of you know, anti-Soviet operations for CIA. Yeah, on, what, on, on what planet do you vanquish, uh, uh, you know, the enemy on the battlefield and then you let them take over your intelligence operation and your space program? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so we did that, right? And then when the West German government is, is, you know, founded and they create their own intelligence agency, they put Galen in charge of that. So now Galen is in charge of West German intelligence, and he was, you know, one of the biggest Nazis that, you know, you'd, you'd find. So Dulles was very intimately involved with all of this, as later he became head of CIA in the 1950s, and he was very much involved in all of this stuff. He had no problem working with the Nazis, but then not, neither did the Catholic Church, right? So the Catholic Church then is moving, you know, Nazis like crazy into South America and other parts of the world using fraudulent paperwork, fraudulent documents. It was even called the monastery route. I mean, it was that blatant and that flagrant that it was called the monastery route. They were using uh, Catholic monasteries, obviously, uh, churches, rectories, and that sort of thing to move uh, war criminals out of Salzburg, Austria, and the, the occupied territories, the allied occupied territories, through northern Italy. And there was one route going straight over into South America. There was another route going straight down to the Middle East. So we find a lot of Nazi scientists and other uh, war criminals, SS officers, uh, finding themselves in Egypt and in Libya and in, uh, you know, in, in the rest of the Levant, in Lebanon and other places in, in the Middle East. So we were setting up operations there that were supposedly anti-Soviet. That was the whole purpose of this. And that's why the church was helping, because the church felt the Soviet Union, the atheist you know, communist government, was a far greater threat to Christianity and to the church than the Nazis were. So this was a question of the devil you know and the devil you don't know, or just pissing, uh, picking the, the lesser of two evils, basically. And that's what, that's what the church was doing. That's what Alan Dulles was doing. That's what we did with Operation Paperclip. Um, we felt the Soviets were this enormous existential threat, and uh, so we were going to cut deals wherever we had to. And we found the Nazis rather congenial. Uh, you know, they were sort of our good Germans, quote-unquote, that we brought over not realizing that perhaps they were running their own operations under our very noses. Uh, 
And to what extent um, was Fritz Kramer, um, I mean, what kind of power did he have? Rumor is that he found himself in the Pentagon and uh, Fritz Kramer continued to exert some influence in the Pentagon. This was a you know, another top Nazi, Nazi criminal. Uh, some say even it was at his behest that Reagan laid the wreath at the SS cemetery. Uh, I think it was around 1980, was it 84, 85? Uh, let's pick up on that point, uh, Peter, when we come back. Sure. That music is percolating up. We'll take a time out. Come back. Peter Lavenda, peterlavenda.com. Unholy Alliance and Sinister Forces, back with more right here on The Conspiracy Program. My name is Richard Serrett. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-740. 740. Welcome back. Peter Lavenda is with us. We were talking about uh, Fritz Kramer uh, before the break, and he was a high-ranking Waffen-SSF uh, member. Uh, and it is there's some dispute. Uh, some suggest that he found his way into the Pentagon through Operation Paperclip and exerted uh, considerable influence within the U.S. military-industrial uh, complex, if you will. And some even go so far to suggest that it was at Fritz Kramer's behest that Reagan... Uh, while in, in Germany for a, a scheduled G7 meeting uh, in May of 1985, uh, decided to pay a visit to the Bitburg Cemetery in uh, western Germany near the border with Luxembourg, where he laid a wreath uh, and buried in the cemetery were some 49 Waffen-SS officers, uh, which obviously the optics on that were not good. And uh, Reagan's people said, well, he thought that there were U.S. servicemen buried there as well. Apparently at one time they were, but they had been moved. Their bodies had been moved many years prior. Uh, what, what, what's, the, what's, what's the deal with that, Peter? What are your thoughts on, on Fritz Kramer? Well, I'm not too sure because there are a number of Fritz Kramers, and sometimes they get confabulated one with the other. Uh, there was a Fritz Kramer, of course, a, a high-ranking uh, SS officer, um, I think he commanded uh, a Hitler Hitler Youth Organization as well, an SS Hitler Youth Division. Um, but he died in '59, uh, so he would not have been the one you're talking about. And there was another Fritz Kramer who actually was Jewish, uh, who did uh, die, I think, just a few years ago. Um, but he was very active in politics and very active as an educator and economist and everything else. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the Fritz Kramer. If it was, that that Fritz Kramer was was Jewish, and he had to flee Nazi Germany because he was Jewish. So I'm, I, I think there's some confabulation as to which Fritz, Fritz Kramer this might be. All right. Um, I, I want to talk about uh, possible Nazi links with uh, terrorism. Now, you can disabuse me of this, but it has also been suggested that the, the Nazis did, did cor- uh, collaborate with the Muslim Brotherhood, particularly Rommel uh, in northern Africa, 
uh, and in Egypt and so forth. Um, and so I guess do we then, if that is true, connect the dots? Is there a, a, a continued relationship between the, the Nazi internationale, we'll call them that, and, and present day is radical Islamic jihadism? Well, those links go back really right almost to the, uh, to the end of the war. You had some very important Nazi propagandists, for instance, like Jonathan Lears, who began working in Egypt for, for Nasser's government uh, when Nasser took charge. Uh, Lears was a virulent anti-Semite, uh, a very well-known pamphleteer and sort of uh, anti-Semitic anti uh, academic. He spoke several ancient uh, languages. He was fluent in Arabic and in Hebrew. And he had a, a, like I say, a vicious dislike of Jewish people. So he was somebody who ran an, a newspaper in Argentina after the war, after the war called Der Weg, The Way, uh, to which people like Hans Ulrich Rudel and other people contributed articles. And then he moved over to Egypt and was running propaganda for Nasser's regime. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, a lot of money went from certain Swiss financiers who were Nazis during the war. Uh, who had access to German funds, Nazi funds, within in the Swiss banks, and were helping to finance uh, revolutionary movements throughout North Africa and in the Middle East. You had Otto Skorzeny, uh, Hitler's favorite commando, the one who rescued Mussolini in that very dramatic uh, rescue mission. Uh, Skorzeny outlasted the war. He never really was prosecuted. He escaped from a, an American POW camp, wound up in Franco's Spain, and then from there began running operations in Egypt in cahoots with Alan Dulles and the CIA, you know, because this was an anti-Soviet operation, quote-unquote. But what Skarzeny was doing was training commandos to run missions against Israel. The very sort of origins of the Palestine Liberation Organization and Al-Fatah were people who were trained directly by Skarzeny and his SS officers back in the late 1940s and early 1950s. And then we have the Nazi rocket scientists. Uh, Egypt had its own version of paperclip. There were a number of Nazi scientists in Egypt who were building missiles to fire into Israel. Uh, in fact, uh, Mossad, Israeli intelligence, found out about this and was slowly starting to assassinate them one by one. But this was a major problem for, for Israel, that you had this presence, this huge Nazi presence in the Middle East after the war was over. You know, don't they know the war is over, right? And for the Nazis, it wasn't. You know, the World War II was just a hiccup in their global plan uh, to get the world rid of communism, to get the world rid of Jews and, for, and other races, and to pit the Soviet Union and the United States against each other so they would destroy each other. This was the Nazi plan from the very beginning. And, of course, the destruction of Israel was part of that plan. So they were very heavily involved. The, the, the origins of the of some of the jihadist movements go back to heavy Nazi involvement. The, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem was a very famous proponent of an anti-Israel, anti-Zionist government position uh, representing Palestinians. And he was in Berlin during World War II broadcasting you know, to, the, to his people in Palestine, telling them to rise up against the British and the other allies. He lived, uh, in, he lived in Germany. He lived in Berlin as, as Hitler's VIP for like four years. Yes, that's exactly right. In a very nice uh, mansion in Berlin. So he was running operations there. After the war, he had to disappear, and he fled, but he wound up in North Africa. He wound up back in, in the Middle East, and he was very prominent as an anti-Semite and as a leader of, 
you know, of of, uh, of Arab re resistance movements, let's say, against not just Israel, but against the other powers in the region, against the British and the Americans, et cetera, et cetera. So you have a very solid uh, series of links and connections between the Nazis and especially post-World War II Nazis and um, Arabian, let's say, in general terms, Arab liberation movements and, of course, anti-Semitic movements. All right, we will uh, take another time out, come back, and uh, finish up strong with Peter Lavenda. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Peter Lavenda stays with us for a, a little while yet, till the top of the hour. Sinister Forces, Stairway to Heaven, Unholy Alliance, The Secret Temple, Ratline, The Hitler Legacy. And we've been uh, obviously uh, delving into... Um, well, much of what appears in an unholy alliance, a history of Nazi involvement with the uh, the occult. We haven't gotten into that uh, too much. Perhaps, well, we'll save that for another show with Peter. There's just, this is such a a, uh, a rich vein to be mined. Uh, just a, a note to, to, to Will. I'm getting some feedback in my, I'm, I'm hearing myself in my headset. I'm not sure what that is. Just in delay. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm not sure what I'm hearing. It almost sounds like last week's program or something, or next week's program. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, apologies for that, Peter. Now, we were we were talking about uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, um, radical uh, jihadi uh, links to the Nazis. Now, the um, the Muslim Brother Brotherhood, which formed Hamas in the late '80s. Uh, I've seen pictures online. I don't know if you can confirm or deny this, but the the Hamas are are they still using the Nazi salute? I believe they are. Yes, wow. um, they're not the only ones. There's there's an interesting story though about Muslim Brotherhood. I'm not sure how many of your listeners are aware, but back in the 1950s when Eisenhower was president. Uh, Eisenhower, of course, was very concerned about the problems with the Soviet Union. It was the height of the Cold War. And he was having a meeting in the Oval Office, and the tape, the transcripts of this meeting are available. You can find this and, and download it. Uh, they're online, and uh, they're, they've been printed in a number of books as well. And Eisenhower is having this meeting, and he's saying to his advisors, including Alan Dulles, who's in the room, he's saying, um, you know, if we want to help destabilize the Soviet Union, why don't we get the Arabs involved? And they ask him, well, what do you mean, Mr. President? And he's saying, well can't we sort of arrange a kind of holy war, a jihad against the Soviet Union? My Wouldn't word. that work out? Mm. You know? And Alan Dulles is saying, um, the only, like, the only clear-headed thing I remember him saying in all the reading I've done on Dulles, he looks at the president and he says, 
Yeah, but what if they turn on us? And, <laughs> and we're talking about, you know, 1953 or 54 or something. So this is a meeting that was held where Eisenhower sends out the word, let's do what we can to unite the various warring factions of Arabs and Muslims in general, not only in the Middle East, but throughout Central Asia, you know, go up into Azerbaijan and Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and all the stands, bring all these people together because they're within the Soviet sphere of influence. They're inside the Soviet Union. Let's get, let's get them to rise up in a religious war because the Soviets are atheists, right? And the Catholics, you know, let us know about that, and they were very involved in that. Let's see if we can get the Muslims to help us out. And so they built a, a mosque in Munich, a very famous uh, uh, event, where actually CIA money collaborated with Muslim, the Muslim Brotherhood and said, let's get, a, let's get together, let's get all of these people together. They hate each other because of language differences, cultural differences, even religious differences. But let's say, you know, let's prove to them you have a, a unifying factor in your religion, in the Quran. Why can't you all get together put aside your regional differences and your ancestral hatreds of each other and rise up in a holy war against the Soviet Union. And the CIA sponsored this. And there's a photograph of one of the men who was the leaders, one of the leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood, meeting with Eisenhower at a meeting in New Jersey where they were cementing this relationship. So, you know, we've treated the Muslim Brotherhood, which is not a monolithic organization either. It also has its factions and its, uh, its more violent side and its more pacific side. We got involved with them in a very early stage in their development, and we tried to move them to use them as a, as a sharp-edged tool against the Soviet Union as sort of the point of the sword and say, get all your guys together and let's destabilize Russia in, you know, in terms of, of Islam, in terms of religion. And, of course, we did that again during Afghanistan when the Soviets invaded. We played with religion. We tried to weaponize it so many times uh, in the years since World War II that it's not funny. And we've been using religion as a, as a propaganda tool and as a means of uniting peoples against our mutual enemies. But the blowback from this has been tremendous. How much, then, of what is happening in Europe right now with this, these constant, seemingly, well, certainly weekly, hasn't gotten daily yet, God forfend, but these weekly uh, terror attacks uh, with people pledging allegiance to ISIS, um, you know, these lone wolf attacks now we're seeing, sometimes there's maybe two or three people involved. Uh, I mean, can we also trace that back? Um, or has it, has it just, has the, the um, this terror cell, have they, have they simply sort of metastasized and they're, now they're, they've broken away from any sort of connection to uh, CIA or, or uh, the Nazi international and now they're just, they're, they're just going wild. What's, what's well, going there, on there? Well, there's a few answers to that question. Remember the things that I'm talking about, which may be new to a lot of listeners and a lot of readers, th these things are common knowledge. Uh, among the Muslim populations of the Middle East. This is stuff they've known for a long time. They've grown up and lived with this. They, they know about how there was you know, manipulation of religious feelings by the West. Um, they, they go back to the, the days of World War I when we manipulated that situation. When I say we, I don't mean the United States yet. This was Britain and France. But they were manipulating the situation in the Middle East going back to World War I. The French have been heavily involved in trying to determine 
uh, the political realities, the political life of people living in the Middle East because of gold, uh, excuse me, not because of gold necessarily, but because of oil, because of the Suez Canal, because of all these other reasons. The French and the British carved up the Middle East. You know, foreign powers betrayed the the promises they made to Arab leaders, you know, to fight against the, the Turks, to fight against the, the Germans, betrayed all of that and said, uh, yeah, maybe later. You know, right now we're going to put Israel in the middle of Palestine. You know, we forgot to tell you about that. And then we're going to carve up countries and create a country called Iraq, you know, and create all these other countries. We're going to just draw straight lines through the desert and say, okay, this part is yours, this part is yours. We're going to completely forget about Kurd, Kurdistan. You know, that doesn't exist anymore. The Kurds are still there, but they don't have a country. We're going to do all of this stuff. And that went back to World War I. We are still paying for World War I. For Sykes-Picot. Right? We're still paying for Sykes-Picot and the Balfour Declaration and all this other stuff that went on. You know, the, the documentation is pretty sad reading if you go through it and see what we said and what we did. And there's a country called Saudi Arabia, which wasn't called Saudi Arabia until after World War I, when we put in the Saud family. King Saud as the leader of that country when he had no claim to it. You know, it was Faisal, the Hashemite ruler of Mecca and Medina, who should have been the king of Saudi Arabia. Um, but we didn't like him. We liked the other guy. So we put the other guy in charge. We did all of this stuff. And Saud was a Wahhabi. You know, Saud was, his family was religious fanatics from the desert. You know, we put these guys in charge of that country. We created this mess. Now, to bring you up to date, just fast forward in the last few minutes that I have, I was in Indonesia in, um, oh, a couple of years ago, anyway. Uh, I was going to school, actually, at, at uh, getting my master's, uh, d doing a season, uh, a semester in Indonesia. And during that time, managed to meet a man called Abu Bakr Ba'ashir. And he was one of the, he was the spiritual leader of a group called Jama'a Islamiyah, which was responsible for the Bali bombings of 2002. Mm -hmm. He's the guy who gave the orders. Um, he was out of jail at the time. I was, at, I was able to meet him with a group of other people. And we sat there and he told us, you know, to our faces, that there was a worldwide Jewish conspiracy. And he started to basically go into the protocols of the elders of Zion. Right, right. You know, which was something that was a hoax created by the, so the Russian secret police back before World War I. Absolutely. And he's, and he's telling me this like it's true. And he believes it 100%. And he's telling me, I'm, I, I'm suddenly back in the 1920s. Right. You know, I'm, right. I'm sitting across from this guy who's telling me there is this, this, this thing and it's going to overthrow the world and we have to do what we can to stop it. And on and on, I'm looking in the face of this man who is a true believer. And he's picked up the Nazi ideology to the letter. There are copies of Mein Kampf and Henry Ford's you know, anti-Semitic uh, publications. I think they there renamed are, it, they retitled Mein Kampf, The Jihad. The Jihad, yeah. yes. And, they re they, and the International Jew, which was Henry Ford's work. All of this you can get on any newsstand in Southeast Asia, particularly in Indonesia, but virtually anywhere, um, because, and, and translated into local languages. This is considered to be like the truth. This is, this is the conspiracy theory, you know, par excellence. This is like the, the, the master of them all. This so is this anti-Semitism is rampant in places like Indonesia then. It's just, it's believed, it's, they believe all it's, this stuff. It's, it's believed as, as gospel truth. And the funny thing is there are no Jews in Indonesia. Well, surprisingly, you know. not surprisingly, I should not say. Surprisingly, not surprisingly. There, there is a, a synagogue uh, near Surabaya, but they don't even have enough Jews for a minion to have a service. So there's not even 10 Jews in the entire nation of Indonesia, and yet they're afraid 
of a Jewish conspiracy to destroy their country when there's basically no Jews at all there. So, you know, nothing makes any sense. The facts argue against their their reality in their head. But this is dangerous because this is the guy that ordered those bombs to go off in Bali in 2002, the Marriott Hotel in Jakarta. You know, I mean, the Jamaat Islamiyah was an Al-Qaeda affiliate. And a lot of the, the 9-11 uh, the attacks were initially planned in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, which is right next door. So you have this connection to Southeast Asia and to terrorism. And there's this belief, as it is in the Middle East, as it is in Saudi Arabia, even in the UAE and in Kuwait and places like that, that the Protocols of the Elders of Zion is a genuine document and it, you know, it maps out the Jewish conspiracy. So this is what we have to deal with. This is what we're up against, yeah. Uh, to what extent... Will this Nazi internationale continue to sort of lurk in the shadows, uh, sort of pulling the strings, but not... I mean, will they at some point have a coming-out party and say, we're back? Well, they've been kind of doing it. Uh, as, a, as a writer once said, when the, when the Nazis come back, they're not going to come back with jackboots and swastikas. They're going to come back in three-piece suits. You know, they're going to, they're going to fit the cultural context of the place where, where they're going to be, where they're going to have the most effect. So they're not going to come back so blatantly. The neo-Nazi groups that you see are tools, they're pawns of what, what the true you know, powers that be are, the true Nazi international. These people, they're, they're the foot soldiers, they're, they're just uh, expendable. So when you look at that, you're kind of looking in the wrong place. It's kind of misdirection. But it does represent the ideology, it represents the philosophy. The Nazis, when they come back, they're going to be doing it a bit more intelligently, a bit sharper, with a lot less waving of flags and marching in the streets. They're going to do it quietly, and they're, they're going to get the job done their way, or at least they're going to try to. Peter Lavenda, uh, so uh, compelling, this conversation. I really appreciate you spending some time with us, and I hope you'll come back again and again. I absolutely. Thank you very much for inviting me. PeterLavenda.com, the website. Again, let me spell the last name. L-E-V-E-N-D-A. PeterLavenda.com. And we've also linked up to his website. If you go to Strange Planet and uh, click on the radio page under tonight's guests, you'll see Peter's name. Just click on that link. That'll take you right there. Peter, again, a pleasure. Good night. Thank you. All right. My website again, strangeplanet.ca, your portal to the conspiracy show, the radio program, the television program, the live events, so much more. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, S as in Simon, T. Just a quick programming note coming up uh, next week. The original Rendlesham Forest UFO incident whistleblower Larry Warren will join us from Liverpool. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, of course, our paranormal investigator, will be along for our monthly paranormal news roundup. And Michael Tamez, uh, who uh, writes a blog and uh, has written several books about alternative health, he'll be with us as well. In the meantime, follow the truth. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
From Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, gee whiz, thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long-haul truck, taxi cab, loft, your parents' basement. Your RV, camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Welcome to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, right here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Canada. AM 740, 96.7 FM, 50,000 watts, at least the AM station, 50,000 watts of peace and love. Uh, Those, of course, uh, listening to the podcasts, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, TalkZone.com. So many ways to listen. Uh, The Zoomer Radio and Conspiracy Show apps, uh, both absolutely state-of-the-art, amazing, the best radio apps anywhere I've ever seen. So easy to use, very cool. Again, the Zoomer Radio and the Conspiracy Show apps, and they're both free downloads from, they're for both uh, iPhone and Android. So you can take the program wherever you go. Uh, those catching the live stream on YouTube through our Hangout on Air. And, uh, of course, we are running our HOA tonight. Albert Vinzel is here. So wherever and however you're listening, I bid thee welcome and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, open Lines. Open lines for the entire hour, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Let me give you the numbers right off the bat because those are always handy when you're doing a phone-in show, don't you know? Uh, 416-360-0740. That's in the greater Toronto area. And toll-free from just about anywhere, 866 740-4740, 866-740-4740, 740 There's so much going on, so much to talk about, uh, so it's high time. And uh, our young Will Power on the other side of the glass will be sort of your concierge. He will take your call and uh, he'll get you on the air. So this is Will's first time behind the big audio board, so please be nice and say hello. Uh, just a reminder... Sunday, September the 11th, 2016, fast approaching. Dr. Judy Wood, author of Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Directed Free Energy Technology on 9-11. She's coming to town. Strange Planet Productions and Conspiracy Culture presents an exclusive live event, Sunday, September 11th. And that's at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. Tickets are going on sale uh, early next week. In fact, on my website, if you go to the live events page tomorrow, Probably towards the afternoon, strangeplanet.ca. Go to the live events page, and there you'll see the event. Dr. Judy Woods, Where Did the Towers Go? Click on that. All the information is there. You can order tickets there as well. And also, Conspiracy Culture, if you go to their live events page, conspiracyculture.com, conspiracyculture.com, click on their events page, and it'll be up very soon as well. You can order tickets online, by phone, right in store. Very easy. Dr. Judy Wood, Sunday, September the 11th. Hope to see you there. All right, so as I say, so much going on, uh, so much to talk about, and I felt it important to to carve out an hour uh, for open lines and give you all a chance to call in and talk. And, of course, recently we we had Peter Lavenda on talking about uh, Nazis, the Nazi uh, Internationale, 
I'm not sure if that was a phrase coined by Joseph Farrell or not. I don't know if he's TM'd Nazi International, but that's sort of the label that we use. The idea that the, the Third Reich um, did not surrender, that's a fact. The German army surrendered. The vice chancellor, the, the Third Reich, never surrendered. And uh, it is speculated and with, with good reason that perhaps Hitler survived the Fuhrer bunker and was spirited out of Germany and the war plunder as well. Uh, and then that, uh, that, that Nazi brain trust, if I can use that word, <laughs> that term, uh, and that you know, vast, vast fortune uh, was sort of funneled into you know, corporations and uh, other entities to form this, again, this term used by Joseph Farrell, the Nazi International, and their influence continues to be exerted to this day, 70 years after the end of the war. Sounds crazy, I know, but uh, uh, Peter, uh, Peter was with us recently, as I mentioned, on the program, Peter Lavenda, and the author of Unholy Alliance and Sinister Forces, uh, provides some pretty compelling evidence, as do others. I mentioned Joseph Farrell, Jeremy Corsi, of course, who wrote Hunt, uh, the Hunting for Hitler, and uh, Jim Mars, The Rise of the Fourth Reich. So if you, wanna, if you heard that program and you want to talk about it, we can certainly do that during this hour. Uh, he also talked about the, the, uh, the Nazi uh, connection to terrorism the terrorism that, that, that we're experiencing to this day. So we have that. We also have, of course, what remains the biggest topic, and that is the U.S. presidential election. Uh, Trump, the disruptor, versus Hillary, the insider. That's sort of how, you know, if this was a wrestling match, a cage match, that's how they would be introduced, right? In this corner, Donald J. Trump, the disruptor. And uh, in this corner, Hillary, the insider. Well, after the, uh, the Democratic convention, Hillary got her, her bounce, and uh, some polls had her up by about 10 points. Now, of course, not surprisingly, uh, that has narrowed again. The latest Ipsos, Re, uh, Ipsos uh, Reuters poll that I've seen, this is an, I believe it's an online poll, uh, has now shown that that lead has been narrowed. Hillary's lead now has been narrowed to about three points, which is in the margin of error, which means, again, we're back into a dead heat. I mean, they, and, it, and you can expect to see uh, these, uh, these, these poll numbers go back and forth and back and forth right down to the wire, right down to November the 9th, I'm guessing. So... If you want to weigh in on, on that, Trump the disruptor versus Hillary the insider, um, we can talk about it. Now, I'm, you know, I've stopped short of endorsing anybody, and it doesn't matter if I did because obviously I'm a, Can a Canadian and I have no uh, skin in this game. Well, we all have a skin in this game. That's not entirely true. Living cheek by jowl with uh, the, uh, the number one economy on the planet. Obviously, we all have something at stake here. Uh, but let me just say this. I mean, love him or hate him, Trump is, as advertised, a total disruptor like no other in recent memory, perhaps in history, in terms of the United States. And he has a lot of establishment people. And I'm talking about the donors, big money donors, the political elites, 
the media elites, they are absolutely apoplectic. apoplectic. They are beside themselves, afraid if Trump gets in. He's not just going to change a few things. He's not going to nibble around the edges. He is going to turn the tables over. And that's what makes this race, to me, so thrilling, so fascinating. We have this brash, politically incorrect bull in a china shop versus, as I say, the ultimate insider. And... What I find most exciting about him, quite frankly, is the fact that he is calling out the globalists. He's called out the ruling globalists. He's threatening to walk away, if necessary, from the World Trade Organization. He's thumbing his nose at the, the war party. And when we say the war party, It's, it's not the Republicans versus the Democrats. The war party is the Republicans and the Democrats. This two-headed hydra. Because you'll notice throughout history, it doesn't matter who gets in. Democrat, Republican, U.S. foreign policy remains pretty much the same. And the M.O. is you roll into a country... You destroy that country, and then you try to install uh, a regime that's simpatico. Or worse, you create a vacuum. Chaos ensues. And we've seen that most recently, of course, in, in Libya and Iraq. Chaos. That seems to be the MO. Create chaos. By accident, by design, not sure. But Trump says, no, we're going to put a stop to that. There'll be no more nation building. There will be no more nation building. Of course, he was immediately accused of being an isolationist. When was the last time we heard a candidate of either political stripe say that? No more nation building. Fascinating. Threatening. Dangerous. All right. That's where we're going for the next hour. That's one topic. We can discuss just about anything you want. If you want to take this in more of a a paranormal bent, we can do that too. I'm game for just about anything. Why don't we begin then with, uh, let me see. uh, Will, why don't you just whisper in my ear and tell me who we have on the line? Who do we have up first? I'm not hearing you through the talk back. Didn't get a name. Okay, just get a, um, uh, a name and a location each time. Uh, but let's just dive right in and we'll take the first caller. All right, who do we have? Good evening, good morning. How are you? Who's this? Hello. Hi there, who's this? Oh, hi, this is Ron. Ron, where are you calling from, Ron? Uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Hey! No extra charge. All right, <laughs> great to hear from uh, Indiana. Yeah, thank you. And your, your governor, of course, Mike Pence, is the, uh, the VP nominee on the Trump ticket. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Pence is a little controversial. You know, he uh, he believes in uh, in forcibly converting uh, people who happen to be gay uh, through uh, medication and and electroshock therapy and stuff. I don't know how that's going to fly, but anyway, uh, that's not why I called. I, number one, I wanted to tell you uh, how amused I was when I saw your kids 
come in the studio and stare over your shoulder about six months ago. I got a big kick out did of that. Did they do that? I missed did I, did I Maybe I missed that. Did they sneak up behind me, or did it, was I aware of it? Yeah, it was on YouTube. You right. Know. All right. Well, they from time to time, <clears throat> the twins uh, come in, and it's kind of a, a, a fun evening for them. Yeah. Uh, when uh, their old man is on the radio, they don't really care about that. They just uh, they like to look at all the flashing buttons and uh, and, and stuff. So uh, yeah, it's well, always great. As fun. long as there's food on the table, you're covered. Then. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, listen, I I'm sorry your first guest is gone because I wanted to ask him uh, at the end of the war, and Albert Speer uh, talked about it at length, and his story, of course, was the same as we hear everywhere that Hitler died in the bunker and all right. that. But we've all seen the picture of Joseph Goebbels and his wife uh, partially cremated because they kind of ran out of petrol at that point. Right. We've seen that picture of him lying on his back with his arms up in the air like a praying mantis, you know. And we know that that's Goebbels. It's, it's clearly identifiable. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, because he was the second highest uh, ranking Nazi at that point, uh, Goering had already been kicked out of the party and uh, expunged after trying to take over from uh, Bavaria or wherever he was. But anyway, uh, I wonder why Goebbels didn't leave with Hitler if Hitler actually escaped. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's the an interesting point. Martin Bormann, of course, who was also more or less second in command at that point, uh, disappeared, and they never found him until, I think, about... 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah, it was around 19, early 1960s. Remains. Yeah. All right, listen, um, all good questions. I'm going to have Peter Lavenda back on the program. He was just that good, and he deserves yeah. to come back. So uh, next time we'll uh, we'll put those questions to him. Thanks for checking in from Indiana, my friend. Okay, thank you. All right, bye-bye. All right, Open Lines, back with more on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Jump on board. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, welcome back. And a special uh, hello again to uh, all of you catching us on the, uh, the live stream on YouTube through our Hangout On Air. And this is really cool. You know, you get to watch a radio program basically uh, on TV, but the TV is YouTube. It's your it's your uh, computer. And uh, Albert Vinzel, my story producer, is running our HOA. Again, if you want to join, it's re- real simple. Just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. And if you go to the top of the feed, it should be right there near the top or maybe a couple of tweets down. You'll see a tweet with a, a big H-O-A, all capital letters, H-O-A. That's the link. Just click on it. And you're in. And uh, the YouTube screen will open up, and you'll be able to stream us live on YouTube. And uh, it's really cool. Sometimes we have guests in studio. You can see them. Or if we have a guest on the phone, 
often they're also participating in the Hangout on, uh, on air, so you can see me, which is no great, uh, no great deal, I understand. <laughs> and you can also uh, see the guests. All right, open lines uh, for the duration. And uh, one of the things that we, we can talk about, obviously, is the, uh, the Hillary-Trump uh, presidential race. And what's a race without an October surprise, right? Every uh, October there seems to be something. Well, uh, what's going to be the October surprise this year most likely will be uh, Julian Assange from WikiLeaks uh, dropping some more uh, hacked documents uh, with regards to Hillary Clinton and perhaps the Clinton Foundation. And he has hinted in interviews uh, with, uh, uh, with uh, Jim Marr and uh, also... Um, with um, RT, Russia Today, that this, these documents regarding the Hillary, uh, f- the, the Clinton Foundation uh, and documents pertaining to um, emails that relate to Benghazi, there, there should be enough in those documents to proceed to, a, to an indictment of the Democratic nominee. Now, many people thought that um, the FBI had enough, certainly had enough to indict. And, of course, that didn't happen. So who knows? I mean, that's, that's how mercurial, uh, that is how unpredictable this presidential cycle is. Things could change in a 24-hour period. So look for that in October. And how is that going to affect uh, the, the polling numbers? As I mentioned earlier, the latest Ipsos Reuters poll now shows the race is narrowed to about three points. Hillary over Trump by about three points. That's within the margin of error. So we're looking at a dead heat. All right, let's go back to the phones. Dan is here in Toronto. Dan, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thanks, Richard. Uh, Just wanted to say quickly that uh, I love your show. I really appreciate the fact that uh, we've got a Canadian doing Canadian alternative uh, radio as opposed to all the propaganda stuff that you see on TV and here on radio generally. Uh, uh, thank if you you're for not that. status quo and you don't believe in, the, in what they're telling us, which we, most people don't, especially young people, as you know, then uh, you're, you're out. Uh, you've got to toe the party line, so to speak. But anyway, uh, that was a great suggestion about talking about Hillary and uh, Donald. Um, He's really shaken up the establishment, um, and they're terrified of him winning. But uh, when you see all the propaganda, the way the CIA has fixed things, murdered people uh, all around the world. I mean, and it started, what, back in the 40s or 50s, and they overthrew Mossadegh, et cetera. And if you read John Perkins' book uh, called Hoodwinked and the Confessions of an Economic Hitman, he's right. updated that book, you see all the corruption and stuff. But... They're terrified of what will happen to their cushy little jobs and positions and little fiefdoms that they have. Um, But unfortunately, what happens in the U.S., and I hate to say this, but unfortunately what happens there because of the reserve currency presently anyway for a little while longer of the world, uh, they're going to maintain that. And uh, it's unfortunate. You mean they're going to maintain the status quo? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And... So every decision that's made in the U.S. unfortunately impacts everybody, and especially Canada being, you know, just to the north of of the U.S. And, you know, you look at NAFTA and the 
TIP, uh, uh, TTP rather, and TTIP, uh, the CETA agreement within mm-hmm. TTIP. And I mean, they're just, um, again, if you don't toe the line, uh, they will uh, get rid of you. But I don't believe any of the polls, Ipsos, Reid, or anybody else, uh, and that's all they are, are polls, but uh, they've been shown to be them, themselves to be liars, like government institutions, governments, uh, in the U.S., I mean, the, the, I think the biggest terrorist group in the world, basically, is the CIA and governments generally. I mean, most of all the presidents, actually, since for whatever, since over the last century, anyways, have been uh, puppets for the shadow government of the deep, uh, deep uh, state uh, government. So, anyways, that's well, I, I think I, I think the CIA, I think the CIA does what just about any alphabet intelligence group does. And, and what happened after the Cold War was the CIA had to sort of reinvent themselves. And I think there are factions uh, within the CIA. There are factions with the NSA, within the FBI. Uh, I think, you know, primarily, uh, I think they do good work. But there are obviously rogue elements uh, that are that are mercenaries. They are guns for hire. Uh, and what happened after the Cold War was they they got hired out uh, for corporate espionage. But this isn't this isn't simply the CIA that does this. This is the way no. alphabet organizations right. work around around the world. Um, I but I think I don't think necessarily that it's the CIA this monol- you know, as a monolith that is trying to preserve the status quo. I think there are moneyed interests, obviously. Oh yeah, uh, they're controlled by the people with the big money, the moneyed families that. Uh, right, you have these. Yeah, the you have these corrupt. And I agree with you quickly. Just uh, I, sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to say that I agree that uh, it's not everybody in the CIA that's doing this. It's just certain individuals, usually at the very top. That's where the majority of the corruption happens. Is closer to the top. Go ahead. Sorry. Right. No. No. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think we're on the same page. You have uh, they're they're corrupt crime families. Uh, basically running the show. And, you know, we're not uh, exempt from that up here in Canada. I think we are very much so locked into the status quo uh, up here in Canada. Uh, I mean, I I know Trudeau is young and he's got great hair and he surfs and he he spelunks and he goes to Turfino and he's a hip happening guy and he wants to legalize pot. But when you get past all of that very superficial stuff, he is very much in the old uh, mold of politician. Um, I mean, everything that he he, uh, he 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 talks a lot, but he doesn't really say anything. Uh, and you'll notice he, he, they keep him out of parliament for the most part. That's why he's off doing a lot. I know they're in summer recess, but even yeah. when parliament is in uh, session, he's off. Uh, doling out money to somebody or apologizing to somebody because he really, um, you know, he's he's a little inept in that regard. He's not a parlamentarian. He's I not, agree with you. He, he's not, uh, you know, he doesn't have a lot of heft. So they, the word is, and I'm hearing this from some some liberal cons- insiders as well. Yes, that they they are deliberately keeping him away. Wow. Uh, because you know he just he's not able to cope. He's just out of his depth, and he's young, and uh, you know maybe that's not uh, uh, surprising. But I, I don't see him as you know he's certainly not a disruptor, uh, a Trudeau. Um, 
So speaking of that, by the way, I'm not seeing big change coming here either. And I would totally agree with you. Uh, just quickly, too, uh, I called in uh, a couple weeks ago regarding uh, Jordan Maxwell, and I understand that he's had a heart attack since. Uh, oh, is that right? That suggestion. I'm sorry. To, I was really sorry to hear that, but I don't know if that's true. But that's what I heard. Uh, but, um, anyways, regarding suggestions and stuff too for future guests. Uh, one would be Paul Hellyer, but also um, because he supports Rocco Galati in his constitutional challenge against the government of Canada, because as you said, we're not exempt from any of this. It's not like Canada is perfect either by any means. No. Well, um, Rocco has been on the show, and um, Mr. Hellyer has been on the show many times. All fantastic. Uh, I, I haven't heard them, but go ahead. Go back into the archives. Uh, okay. Sign up as a member on uh, the uh, the radio page at strangeplanet.ca. Go to the radio page and then sign up. And then you can go back and just do a, a search by guest's name. And Rocco has been on the program. I brought him on Coast to Coast as well uh, when I hosted. With you, that's right. That's right. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, um, the, I think I heard that one, yeah. Uh, Paul Hellyer was most recently on Coast with George Norrie just a few nights ago. And I did hear that one, yes, on yeah. Coast to Coast. Yeah, yeah. sounding uh, very, very, very sharp and lucid at the age of 90, I believe he's 93 now. He just turned 93 this week, mm-hmm. I think, yes, this past week, yep. So anyway, I, I thank you for your time. I, I really sincerely appreciate the fact that uh, we can call into a program that uh, is not going to just shut the door on us or cut us off if they don't like what we're saying and... Uh, we, we need uh, more people like you and more programs like you have or, or either that or give you some more airtime, uh, be it through the week or weekends or whatever. But uh, I, I just I really uh, love your show and, and stuff and really approve of what you're doing. So Dan, I appreciate that, I, your kind words, and uh, thank you so much for your call. Thank you so much, Richard. All right. Great. Keep up the great work. Have a good night. For, I will. Thank you. Bye-bye. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. That's uh, the number for the greater Toronto area. And out of town, 866-740-4740. Again, out of town and toll-free from just about anywhere. Love to hear from uh, people who listen in on the affiliate program or uh, um, who listen to the program through our affiliates, keeping in mind most of our affiliates carry the show in a, in a delay. So this program, our affiliates will hear maybe later next week. But if you happen to uh, be streaming us live, for example, on, uh, on zoomerradio.ca or through the app, and you can, you're picking us up in Indiana or uh, our affiliates in Alaska or Kentucky, we'd love to hear from you. Four one, uh, eight seven, uh, sorry, 866-740-4740. That's the toll-free one. Let's get this right. 866 866- 740 Now, I just had an email here uh, from, uh, let's see, who is this? Someone named uh, Suzanne. Uh, Hello, enjoy your show. My husband suggested I write to see if you would do a conspiracy show on the death of Beatle Paul McCartney from a car crash November 9th, 1966 in the British MI5 cover-up with a lookalike Paul could be interesting. Thanks. Suzanne, great suggestion. And uh, maybe we will revisit that topic in November. We'll bring uh, our Gary Patterson onto the program. Uh, Gary is a good friend of mine down in Knoxville, Tennessee. 
And uh, he wrote sort of the definitive book which attempted to sort of blow that whole story out of the water. It's called The Walrus Was Paul. So, Suzanne, if you're listening, uh, go on to Amazon and check that book out. Uh, the Walrus Was Paul by R. Gary Patterson. And uh, it's a great story, if true, if, even if it's not true. I mean, the, 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 the panic that ensued, I believe it all sort of started. Now, the rumor was that McCartney died in 1966. He blew his mind out in a car. Remember, he hadn't noticed that the lights had changed from a day in the life. Was that a clue? Was that an audio clue? Perhaps. One of the great Beatles uh, songs, A Day in the Life. Perhaps the, the, uh, the surviving members, so guilt-ridden, were leaving little, little clues for listeners. And, of course, uh, all of the artwork on Sgt. Pepper from 1967, uh, a lot of clues there as well. Uh, and uh, Abbey Road. Why was Paul McCartney walking across Abbey Road barefoot? Everyone else had shoes, but not Paul. Why is that? Well, when you put someone in a coffin, you don't bother putting shoes on them. Another clue, perhaps? Uh, so there's, you know, there's, there's so much grist for that mill. And it really blew wide open uh, several years later. I mean, it wasn't as if in November of 1966, people were screaming, Paul is dead. Uh, that rumor really didn't get started until, I believe, the summer of 69, Someone called into a radio station. It was either Detroit. I, I think it was Detroit, radio station in Detroit. And um, this was an all-music station. And suddenly, when this person called in, the, uh, the DJ started to do essentially a talk show. He suspended playing any more music, and he was speaking to this person on the phone who had all of this information and all of these clues that Paul was dead. And that's where the whole thing got started. And then people started going back and examining all of the clues on Sergeant Pepper and um, listening to the back masking. Paul is dead, Paul is dead, and all of these things that people believed that they could hear when they were playing certain tracks backwards. It's an absolutely fascinating story. Now, um, you may be aware that on this program or on this station here at Zuma Radio, uh, Friday, Saturday nights, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights before this show, I air a little feature called Strange Planet. And I actually did uh, a Strange Planet episode. These are three four minute vignettes of one uh, called uh, Paul is Dead. So I'll have to dust that one off again in November and play it. But we will get our Gary Patterson on to talk about. That whole mystery, Paul McCartney is dead. If he is, the guy they got to replace him is even more talented than the original Paul. I got to tell you that. <laughs> All right, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Open lines, jump on board. Back with more. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, welcome back to our open lines for the entire hour. And uh, again, not something that we do um, 
all that often, but I'm trying to uh, do more of it than, uh, than in the recent past, perhaps, you know, at least once a month. And here we are. All right. Uh, let's see. Who do we have on the line? Let's go. I don't have a name up here, Will, but let's just put that person up. Good evening. Good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Are they there? Hello. Hi there. Yes, I am. Who's this? Yes, I was wondering if there is possible for Prime Minister to hold a dual citizenship and still be a candidate in Canada. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having a little trouble hearing you. Is it Catherine? Yes. Okay, Catherine, where are you calling from, first of all? Good morning, New York. New York, welcome. Okay, so your question was something about a dual citizenship for a Prime Minister? Yes, for a Prime Minister, yes. Is it possible? Um, I, I believe so. I mean, I don't think there's anything in the Constitution uh, that that um, prohibits someone with a dual citizenship. Uh, in f- let me see now. I'm trying to think if there's an example um, of someone who's had dual citizenship. Hmm. Now, Ignatiev, the, uh, the former liberal leader, certainly worked a great deal in the United States. He was a Harvard professor. But did he have dual citizenship? I'm not, I'll have to look that up. Albert, can you do me a favor? Find out if Michael Ignatiev, who was uh, the liberal leader uh, before Trudeau, whether he had dual citizenship. I think Trudeau is doing a pretty good job as far as I hear because he listens to Canada. You think he's doing he's a pretty good job? All well, the time. You're 740. So, um, I think he's handling himself pretty good. He's so handling himself well. He's he's certainly young and photogenic, and the foreign press uh, seems to like him a lot. And um, you know, we see lots of photos of him uh, surfing and and um, uh, spelunking in caves and uh, dancing and all of these things. Um, I just wish he would spend maybe a little bit more time actually running the country. <laughs> He's, you know what, uh, if it were any other time in our history, you know, if this were, if everything was going along tickety-boo, the economy was humming on all eight cylinders, if, you know, we had full employment, um, if we weren't facing, you know, a threat of, of, of uh, you know, an existential threat of terror, uh, then I'd cut him some slack. But these are very trying times, and it's, you know, there's no time for someone to learn on the job. Um, and I just, Correct. I do not see him demonstrating a lot of activity. Um, you know, I don't see him rolling up his sleeves and, uh, well, you know, time will tell. But we will see over the next couple of years, there are certain important things that voters look for. They're going to see whether the property values on their house, are they going to go up? Are they going to go down? Um, their after-taxes household income, is it going to continue to stagnate or is it going to go up? Um, You know, GDP, you know, what's going to happen with that? I don't don't know. I I think the honeymoon will will be over in a year because I do not think uh, we're going to see an uptick in any of these indicators, quite frankly. I think your economy is a lot better than over here in the U.S. because housing is a lot cheaper in some spots. Uh, housing cheaper in Canada? Well, it depends. I mean, if you're living in Toronto, the uh, the average house, 
unless you've got a million dollars to throw around, you're not going to have a single a single family dwelling, a house rather in in the city. Vancouver, uh, what is it now? Three four million dollars for an average house. If you want to buy in in um, Wetaskiwin uh, or some remote place. Oh, this just in from Albert. Uh, okay, these. Individuals all had dual citizenship. Michael Ignatiev, I was right about that. Oh, Tom Mulcair, that's right. Tom Mulcair does have dual citizenship. And Stefan Dion all had dual citizenship. Now, n- none of them were prime ministers, but they, they were in a position they could have been a prime minister. Thank you for that, Albert. So I hope that answers your question, uh, uh, Catherine. Yes, we, we've had three federal leaders with dual citizenship, but none of them became prime minister. Oh, that's close. I mean, at least it's still free to come and go as if they used to. Right. You're asking me about the economy in the United States. Well, it's pretty dire in the U.S. You have, uh, what is it now, one in every eight people is on some sort of social assistance in the United States. Now, keeping in mind, many of them are veterans and seniors and so forth. Uh, but right. you've got, you have... One in five households in the United States where nobody, nobody is employed. Uh, the, the, um, you have something like 95 million Americans who could be, who are of working age, are not working. Uh, and we hear, you know, the unemployment rate somewhere around, I don't know, 5, 6%. I just think that's a bunch of malarkey. I think the unemployment rate in the United States, the real unemployment rate, is closer to 20%. 20%. Now... You know, it's pretty scary to think what Hillary's going to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... Well, whoever finds themselves the next resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue uh, has got a lot of work to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I mean, just monumental problems. Uh, the infrastructure deficit is huge, of course, uh, but unemployment is just... Unbelievable. The, the number of African-Americans now that have fallen into poverty uh, uh, over the last eight years, it's another 20 percent. Um, another two million uh, Hispanics now have fallen below the poverty line. In some, in some jurisdictions, it's like the economy is in free fall. It's just – it's abysmal, quite frankly. Uh, here in Canada, well, we are, um, we are still – uh, hewers of wood and drawers of water. Uh, nothing has changed in the 400-year history of this uh, country. Well, we've only been a country for 150, but uh, we're still a resource-based economy. So we're, uh, we're, we're taking it on the chin when it comes to uh, the price of oil and so forth. Uh, having said all that, yeah, I think things economically at least are a little bit more stable right now. Uh, but... Um, the aforementioned Justin Trudeau just added an, about another $30 billion to our debt. So my grandchildren will be paying that off. So they'll have yeah, us to thank for that. what happens. I mean, All right. Got to run, Catherine. Uh, thank you. Thank for, thanks for checking in from uh, New York State. All the you. best. I'll join you when you talk about Paul McCartney. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent. We'll do that. Have a good night. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Jump on board. Open lines. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740. 
or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. All right, lots of uh, logs on the fire in terms of uh, potential uh, topics here during our open line segment. And uh, we've got about 15 minutes left in the program. Plenty of time for you to jump on board if you want to talk about the U.S. presidential race, Trump versus Hillary. Um, now, here's something interesting. Uh, when uh, when Julian Assange was being interviewed uh, by um, so Jim Maher that I'm thinking of, uh, anyway, he asked Assange, you know, because Assange uh, and WikiLeaks hacked into the Democratic uh, – uh, the National Democratic Convention's uh, or the committee's uh, emails, and that's how uh, Wasserman Schultz, who was head of the DNC, was sort of um, exposed and had to resign because it was clearly shown in the emails that Wasserman Schultz and Clinton had uh, conspired, essentially, to uh, to to, to uh, destroy Bernie Sanders. <laughs> And they did a pretty good job. Um, then it came to light that Assange and WikiLeaks were thinking of or are considering or are going to actually leak some more documents from the Democrats and specifically of Hillary Clinton. Now, somebody asked Assange, well, are you going to try and le- hack into and leak Donald Trump's tax returns because he hasn't released them yet? And uh, some think that there's some smoking gun in there that's going to uh, totally derail uh, Trump. Now, he has released a lot of his financial documents. He hasn't released his current uh, tax uh, returns, and he says he can't because he's currently under a routine audit. And Assange kind of joked, oh, yeah, sure, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do that. We're going to hack in uh, to um, the IRS and release Trump's tax documents. Well, he, he later said that he was just joking. But what Assange is going to drop are documents pertaining to the Clinton Foundation and also further, supposedly further emails which will, he says, provide enough information to indict Hillary Clinton. That's the October surprise. That should be interesting when that comes down the pipe. Um, but here's the, uh, another interesting thing that I'd like to see. Again, everyone's talking about why doesn't Donald Trump release his tax returns? Well, his lawyers and his accountants said, well, you can't. It's not a good idea while you're being audited. Wait for the audit to be done. Now, others were under audit. Richard Nixon, he was under audit and he released his. Well, that's, that's the advice Richard Nixon got. Trump is getting other advice. But why... Doesn't someone ask for Hillary Clinton to release her health records? 
If you're going to be president, if you're going to be commander-in-chief, you have to go through a fairly rigorous um, health exam, medical exam. Now, we, we know that Hillary had a nasty fall a couple of years ago. She was concussed. She suffered a concussion. Now I'm seeing almost a weekly event. She seems to have a coughing fit, which apparently is uh, related to the anti-blood uh, clotting medication that she's taken and she's, she continues to take as a result of that nasty fall. There was a recent uh, uh, video. I'm not sure what event Hillary was at, but she was, being, she was surrounded by uh, reporters. Several reporters were asking her, sort of speaking to her at once. And at least in slow motion, it looked like she was having some sort of a seizure. You've probably seen the video. It's everywhere. Now, when I looked at that in slow motion, I mean, her eyes were rolling around in her head. Uh, she was sort of twitching. It did look like a seizure. It looked all for all the world like a seizure. Now, when I have, and then you see from the reverse angle, you see the reaction of the reporters. Have you seen this, Albert? Have you seen that video? What do you think? Was she having a seizure? Uh-huh. I've put yell on the spot, Albert. But uh, yeah, we've talked about this before. Uh, looks like she has a lot of health problems. That that's uh, true. And then uh, the other big story is the Clinton body count. Like other uh, people just dropping dead who are like her enemies. <laughs> yeah, I want to get to that as well if we have time because it's it's up around like 70 or 80 people. Oh yeah, it's recent ones too. Like five five new ones. Well, there was John Ash who was the former UN of, uh, official uh, who was supposed to be testifying, and it's unclear whether that trial had anything to do with the Clintons, but it was kind of at least you know one step removed anyway, at, at the very most. Uh, and he supposedly um, expired after a uh, he was working out, and the uh, he was working out with weights, and the dumbbell or the barbell supposedly fell and crushed his throat. Eh, it could happen. It could happen. Uh, but the uh, the number of Dead bodies piling up, who are somehow connected to the uh, the Clintons. It's it's pretty astounding when you go through them. And I'm not just talking about Vince Foster, and the most recent one, John Ash. And there was another. Um, I think there was a he was an intern working in the Clinton campaign, who was just he was found dead in his room as well. And then there was the um, the the attorney who filed the class action suit. He, he, he served the papers at the DNC headquarters, walked into the building, it was on camera, served the, uh, the National Democratic uh, Committee headquarters with a class action suit on behalf of Bernie Sanders supporters and sponsors. This was before the, um, the email leak showing how Wasserman Schultz and Clinton and others had, had, had conspired. Uh, to derail Bernie Sanders, uh, and then he just he just turned up dead mysteriously. So yes, there is that interesting uh, body count. Uh, but back to the health thing. Now I mentioned the the video where uh, Hillary is. Uh, she looks for all the world like she's having a seizure. She looks like she's totally out of it. And uh, but then when you run it in full speed, I was just looking at it again tonight. I'm not so sure now that that's evidence of someone having a seizure. Uh, it actually looks for all the world like she's kind of joking around because these two 
uh, there were two female reporters and they were both asking her a question at the same time. And she was sort of, it looks to me now, like she was feigning that she was, you know, being thrown by the fact that there were two people speaking to her at the same time. Uh, because, you know, she kind of rolled her head around and her eyes kind of rolled around, but then immediately she shot back a question to them, some, something that had nothing to do with anything. But she was, uh, it was clear to me after watching that clip that she had, that she was lucid and um, she did not look like someone who had just suffered a seizure. Having said that, there are the coughing fits. Uh, there are those thick glasses that she's been seen wearing from time to time. Again, we're told that this is um, uh, common with people that have had a, 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 a concussion. Then you noticed, uh, you've seen these pictures as well. Close-ups inside of, they're actually, you know, extreme close-ups of Hillary's tongue while she's delivering her acceptance speech at the convention. And again, you look like it, there's a chunk being taken out of her tongue. It almost looks like she's had something biopsied. She, look, she looks like she's had her tongue biopsied. And then, if that's not enough, um, more and more reports how she is being shielded from photographers whenever she's called upon to climb steps. In fact, there have been a few photo, uh, photos released of her obviously taken in a stealthful manner in which it's clear she's being helped up and down stairs. And we've heard from a number of reporters who say they are not allowed to video or, or, or photograph Hillary getting on or off an airplane. Apparently, she's having difficulty negotiating stairs. So I'd like to see her health records released. Yes, we'd like to see Trump's uh, his tax documents, but I want to see her health records. I think she's in. I think she's in failing health, and I think she's deteriorating rapidly. That's what I think. All right, who do we have on the line there, young Will? Andrew is calling from Denver. Andrew, good evening, good morning. Welcome to Co- or welcome to the Conspiracy Show Coast. That's the other program I do. <laughs> <laughs> good evening, Richard. There. Hello, Andrew. Uh, I wanted to say thank you very much for doing your podcast. I keep listening to your Flat Earth interview from a couple of months ago. Oh, yes. The Flat Earth. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. What I remember an interesting that topic. Yeah, it is. It's kind of – it's it's really kind of out there. Uh, you know what? I take on all comers on the program. We can do any – you know, I'm willing to talk about anything. But, I, I'll, you know, truth be told, Andrew, that one stretches my credulity to the, to the outmost limits. <laughs> Oh, yes, but, you know, I, I sure enjoy the odyssey you take me on. Um, I want to make a quick comment about uh, Hillary's health issues. It, it could all be explained by one thing. Um, it, maybe she's a reptilian <laughs> alien. And, uh, a reptilian. You know, she's having these issues. That's right. She, uh, our atmosphere doesn't agree with her. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, the tongue and things like that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, why I mean, not? Let's want... start that rumor. Let's start that rumor. You heard it. We're going to start it right now and right here. Well, <laughs> uh, she might as well be from another planet. Uh, I mean, f- she just has, you know, no, um, no sense of, you know, I think the common man. I think, you know, for the last 30 plus years, well, going back to the governor's mansion, I mean, she has just been, you know, coddled. 
and we hear this from from people around her, whether it's Gary Byrne, the um, former Secret Service officer that uh, attended to her. She um, she is so addicted to the lifestyle of being in power. Not even, never mind flying first class. Just, you know, flying in in private jets and uh, and expense accounts and so forth. Uh, that she's gotten to the point where she seems totally divorced from reality. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think uh, that's common with a lot of people in her position, but I think she uh, really does soak it in. All right. Well, we will uh, we'll continue to well, talk about One last it. thing. Uh, have yes. you heard about the uh, domestic violence that uh, Hillary supposedly beats up on Bill? Well, this, that surfaced in Gary Byrne's book, uh, Crisis of Character. He was the Secret Service agent I talked about. Yeah, apparently she threw a, uh, was it a, a lamp? It was a, um, after she found out about one of his uh, dalliances, <laughs> which are too numerous to mention, apparently she blackened his eye, and uh, she's known for flying off the, uh, off the handle. She was part of what they called the Bimbo Eruption Team. James Carville... Um, mentioned this and um, Hillary was put in charge whenever someone came forward and said you know that she had been involved with Bill and we're not just talking about extramarital affairs we're also talking about uh, more heavy handed stuff you know groping sexual assault it was up to Hillary to extinguish that fire by any means necessary Uh, you know harassing hounding sticking the IRS on these people So that's another odious chapter, and we can talk about that at some point as well. That's it for us. We are done. Thanks for your call, Andrew. Albert, thank you. Young Will Power back back next week with a brand-new program. Original Rendlesham Forest UFO whistleblower Larry Warren, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and Michael Tamez, Alternative Health, will all be part and parcel of the program. Make sure you're here. Make it a date. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.